I think um, it's, it's important to take into account the risks associated with the yen depreciation. So the problem with th this is that um, it creates a lot of volatility and it affects investment planning over the longer term. So in an environment of high volatility, um, this all obviously impedes um, future planning on, on the business side. As well as that, as something that has been in place for, for many years in Japan is a, a low interest rate environment. And this can lead to excessive risky behavior uh, in the banking sector. And th these risks are possibly compounded in the current environment. Um, mm. As well as that, while the stock market has remained somewhat resilient in recent months, there, there are risks in certain segments of, of, of the stock market um, which need to be monitored closely, mm. I would say, um, over the next few months. John, thanks very much. That's John Byrne, Vice Chair of Research at the Asian Development Bank Institute. You're listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. In Japan right now, the Nikkei 225 is off close to 1%. Uh, the, Nikkei, uh, the ASX 200 in Australia down about a third of a percent. The Cosby in South Korea has fallen 0.2%. Looks like the Hang Seng is going to fall about 230 points at the open, taking it below that important 20,000 level. Uh, looks like the index is going to open around 19,940 later on this morning. Do please join me again tomorrow morning at 8 o'clock. I'll be back for Money Talk. Coming up after the news is Back Chat with Janice Wong and Ada Wong. The weather forecast, mainly fine apart from isolated showers, very hot during the day, maximum temperature of around 34 degrees in the urban areas, a couple of degrees higher in the new territories. It is going to be more showery with thunderstorms tomorrow and those showers are going to be heavy at times on Thursday and Friday and then lessen gradually over the weekend. The very hot weather warning in force once again, temperature is 30 degrees right now, 75% relative humidity. <laughs> Times 8.32. It's Andrew Shrosky with the Half Hour News. Thank you, Peter. The president of the Hong Kong Pediatric Society has urged parents to get their young children vaccinated against COVID as soon as possible, as there's been a rise in serious cases among young patients. Dr. Patrick Ip made the call after a 22-month-old girl who was infected with the virus died yesterday. He told RTHK vaccination is the best way to protect young kids. The very sad case is a big alarm to our professionals as well as to our parents. Uh, in the past few months, where the condition has been more stabilized, quite a number of parents do have some hesitance about receiving a vaccination, probably because they think COVID would not affect their children too much, even though they are returning to schools. But now we know when children are returning to schools and then we are relaxing all those social distancing measures, we would expect there would be more and more children being affected, including those very young children. So protecting the children with an effective COVID vaccination should be the way to go. He also backed a recommendation by government advisors yesterday to lower the minimum vaccination age to six months. The hospital authority has rejected safety concerns about paracetamol it procured from the mainland when the fifth wave of COVID peaked earlier this year. The authority said that although the batch of medicine was not registered here, it had examined the safety and quality of the drug before buying it. Officials said it was the responsible thing to do, as local suppliers couldn't cope with surging demand for the drug. But they said the one-off supply would soon run out, and the authority will switch back to locally manufactured paracetamol. The head of the UN has warned that the world is one miscalculation away from nuclear annihilation. Antonio Guterres said the risk of such a disaster was higher than at any time since the Cold War.
He pointed to Russia's attack on Ukraine as well as rising tensions on the Korean Peninsula and the Middle East. Mr. Guterres was addressing a conference of signatories to the Nuclear Non-Proliferation Treaty. The clouds that parted following the end of the Cold War are gathering once more. We have been extraordinarily lucky so far, but luck is not a strategy, nor is it a shield from geopolitical tensions boiling over into nuclear conflict. Today, humanity is just one misunderstanding, one miscalculation away from nuclear annihilation. We need the treaty of non-proliferation of nuclear weapons as much as ever. A new study says scientists aren't taking catastrophic climate change outcomes, including human extinction, seriously enough. The authors say that the consequences of more extreme warning are dangerously underexplored. In a paper published in the Proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences, they argue that the world needs to start preparing for the possibility of what they term the climate endgame. You're listening to the news on RTHK. Good morning and welcome to Back Chat. I'm Janice Wong and my co-host today is Ada Wong. Good morning, Ada. Good morning, Janice. On today's Back Chat, we're talking about the widening gender imbalance in Hong Kong. According to latest government figures, the population here consists of around 4 million women and around 3.3 million men in 2021. This means that excluding foreign domestic helpers, there is 910 males to every 1,000 females, 15 fewer than in 2016 when the last population by census was carried, was carried out. The latest data also revealed that fewer people got married in 2021. So why are fewer people tying the knot? What impact will it have on Hong Kong's aging population going forward? And what can be done to address this imbalance? After 9.15, we'll look at the recent closure of classic eateries in Hong Kong. Let us know your thoughts, your questions and your comments on our Facebook page, Backchat at RTHK Radio 3. You can email us at backchat at rthk.hk or you can call us, of course, and our number is 233-88266. To kick off our discussion this morning, we have with us Paul Yip, the Chair Professor of Population Health at the University of Hong Kong's Department of Social Work and Social Administration. Also on the program is Vera Yun, a lecturer at HKU's Faculty of Business and Economics. Good morning to the both of you, and uh, thanks for joining us on the program. Um, Let's start with you, Professor Yip. Um, So 910 males to every 1,000 females. Uh, What's the reason behind that? Are are women simply living longer than men? Uh, Yes, I think uh, that is one of the major reasons because I think now uh, the life expectancy for females I think is five years longer than men. So I think this is one of the the important factors. And then the other, I think, is the cumulative effect about the one-way permit holders. So uh, when they come to Hong Kong, I think 60% of them, um, they are the spouse of their Hong Kong residents, and mostly they are females. So I think in the past, I think, 20 years or so, I think we are talking about uh, at least, I think, 600,000 women, I think they have been arriving in Hong Kong, so which uh, uh, contributed to the gender imbalance 
Right, and uh, what many people are interested in is the data that shows that fewer people actually got married in uh, 2021. Um, I'm looking at the crude marriage rate, uh, which is the number of marriages per 1,000 in the population, and uh, the crude marriage rate for women in 2021 was 6.7%, and for men, 8%, which is uh, down by around 45% compared to uh, 2016. Um, Professor Yip, how would you describe that figure? Well, I think this delaying marriage or the women, I think, uh, they uh, choose to be single, I think it is quite a uh, common phenomenon, I think, in this high-income uh, countries, I think, uh, not only in Hong Kong, but in all other countries as well. I think what we have seen, the women, I think, they have uh, gained the financial independence, I think they are more uh, highly educated, and also, I think some of them, I think, it, I think they, just the aspiration to form a family is not the top of the agenda. You know? I mean, they still like to have the career advancement. I mean, they like to experience different things. So I think it is quite very different, I think, from the past. Um, I think uh, in our projection, I think in all likelihood, I think it seems that I think the trend will continue. I think, I think the women uh, still will be become independent. And then I think the proportion of this of uh, getting married, I think, will not uh, have a significant changes, I think, in the near future. Mm. Um, Professor Yip, this is not uh, related to the gender imbalance, right? Because you mentioned that, um, you know, most uh, most women live longer than men. And so I think, you know, the excess of women will be in the elderly groups. So are there enough young men for and young women in Hong Kong? So, so that, you know, there are enough suitors. Well, <laughs> I think if the uh, Hong Kong local women, if they choose not to get married, I think if the Hong Kong men, they like to get married, they need to find a partner, right? So then what they would do, I think they would look for somewhere else. Right? So I think if they choose, I think, to have this cross-border marriage, which has account for nearly three, uh, 30 to 40 percent of the total marriage in Hong Kong. So because of this, it actually, uh, it, uh, that's why I think in the past we still have so many, I think, one-way permit holder, they, uh, they, are, they are queuing up to, to join their family in Hong Kong. It is related to the cross-border marriage. That is the Hong Kong men, I think they marry the, they marry the men and women. You know? So I think that is one of the contributing factors of it for the gender imbalance. Now, Ms. Yoon, I know you wrote an article earlier about uh, why people don't want to get married. Can you share your view with us? Well, um, thank you for inviting me. I think it's about um, the cost and opportunity cost of um, raising children because um, as the society advances into a post-industrial society and, you know, females, they got uh, high-paid jobs, they have social status, they want to have their career. So in order to raise, children, they need to give up more. So simply the opportunity causes more and they don't want to sacrifice that much. And I think on the other hand, it's about um, how competitive the society is in order to raise children so that they could survive when they grow up. So nowadays, children have to be educated for longer time. So like our older generation, like most of them finished their public exam and then they just enter the job market. But nowadays, many of them would like the children to have further studies because 
you know, in a globalized economy, you're competing with people from like all over the world. So it's you need to be like skilled worker in order to survive and live a better life. So I think parents they are more willing and they think it's their responsibility to supply such education and training to their children. And that does not only take longer, but education course as income increases also increases the proportion of their earnings. So these two factors added together would make the cost of raising children like higher than before. So like many people would prefer like after um, judging or evaluating um, uh, what they could choose from, they would choose not to have children. Professor Yip, is that uh, is that uh, what many people think? I mean, do, do you think many people share that view that the uh, cost of raising children is a major factor when deciding whether to get married or have kids? Well, I think in one of our study by by the Family Planning Association, I think the the financial consideration is indeed is one of the important factors. I think, uh, as everyone knows, that in Hong Kong, I think the uh, the housing cost is very expensive, and actually, uh, 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 and 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 plus, I think in the uh, last couple of years, I think when during the COVID, I think the economic situation are not very good. I think their jobs are not very stable, and so it will uh, give the couples have a double thought, uh, have a second thought, you know, whether they would like to have children. But on the other hand, I think they are also worry about the education system in Hong Kong. I mean, so, so the, some of them, uh, they just thought that, well, that they might not uh, really like to bring their children uh, up uh, in, under the present situation. So I think, yes, I think economic factors has indeed is one of the important factors, but plus there are some environmental and also societal factors, I think, which affect the aspiration, I think, for the childbearing as well. So I think we really need to look hard into it and how to re- remove these barriers. I mean, such that the people can decide or to have the baby happily and living in Hong Kong. Um, Professor Yip, in your earlier article, you mentioned um, a leading local bank's um, um, survey, uh, and um, based on the results, uh, the bank estimated that the average annual cost of raising a child in Hong Kong is around two hundred eighty-four thousand, which means six million to support a child until they're twenty-two and able to be financially independent. Now, uh, I doubt that um, you know a 22-year-old can be financially independent these days, but um, six million is, uh, is really an astronomical sum. And it, it means that many, many people would, um, would be appalled by this figure. How would you I read this? It's very much, I think, I hope that it's just a gimmick of, of that band and try to promote this of uh, private banking. Um, I think in I mean in Hong Kong, yes, I think raising a child is not cheap, but definitely I think uh, we do not need six million dollars. I mean, as we can see, I think uh, all the education uh, fees are very much covered by the government. Even if you are uh, among the 18% who go into the university and then you are being supported by the bursary and the scholarship. So and 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 it also doesn't say that when you put a lot of money on the kids, I mean, they will be doing much better than those who do not. But, but of course, I think uh, when you have more resources, then you have more choices. But I hope, I think the family will not be so discouraged, I mean, by this number, because when you look at the household income of the Hong Kong 
family, I think um, nearly 50% of our household, I think their household income will earn less than the $300,000 per year. You know, I mean, so I think if that figure holds, I think, well, I mean, you can see how much difficulties, I mean, for the Hong Kong household to raise up any, any children in Hong Kong. Right. And, and Professor Yip, uh, going back to the figures, I mean, I'm looking at the figures and it, it shows that uh, the number of babies born last year plunged significantly. And uh, also the age of uh, first time mothers is uh, getting older. Um, Professor Yip, how much of an impact do you think the COVID pandemic had on, on those figures? Um, I think there is because um, in Hong Kong, a lot of births, they have, they occur within the marriage. As you can see the number of marriage has uh, gone down very significantly. I think we're talking about, I think from 50 to 60,000 a few years ago now is, is about only 30,000. So because of the less marriage and subsequently, and then we have less number of births. And also plus, I think as we all know to, I mean, during the COVID, I mean, uh, after the social unrest, I mean, 2019, I mean, uh, they are, not a small number of young couples, I think they have decided, I think, to leave Hong Kong. And this group, I think they are the most fertile group, I think, in our population. They are the, the ones who are likely to give babies. So but once they leave, and then, uh, then we would not uh, have the benefits, I mean, to having the babies uh, being counted in Hong Kong. All right. I have uh, two uh, messages here. Maybe uh, Miss Yoon and uh, Professor Gibb, you can help answer them. Maybe... Um Professor Yip, maybe this, this question can be uh, answered by you. It says it's from T.C. Jung. It says, um, isn't it a normal trend to have more females than males? And uh, that uh, question is from T.C. Jung. And uh, T.C. Jung also has another question. Um, maybe Miss Yoon, you can help answer it. Um, he says, why is fewer people getting married a problem anyways? Isn't it a good thing that people uh, are being more careful about making a very important life decision? One overused TVB drama dialogue that really struck a chord with me, marriage is the graveyard of love. And that's from T.C. Chang. So uh, maybe, maybe uh, Professor Yip, you can go first. Well, I think when you talk about the gender imbalance, I think uh, at birth, uh, I think it is the natural choice that we have more male babies than female babies. You know, it's about 105 to 100. So, but it is during the life course, I think uh, men might taking more risky behavior or they might have taken too much responsibility. I think they die earlier, right? So I think that uh, uh, as the improvement of the medical services, I think we keep the people live longer, uh, not necessarily they're healthier, but uh, what it, it turns out that we have this uh, gender imbalance. But in Hong Kong, it, especially in Hong Kong, we have this uh, uh, significant, I think, proportion of the publishing growth is coming from the one-way permit holder. And this one-way permit holder is mainly, I think, about the family reunion I think, from the cross-border marriage. And it's also mainly by the Hong Kong men, I think, um, they get married to the men and women. So I think, uh, so it's not only natural, but it also we have some additional unique features. I think that only uh, can be found in Hong Kong. All right, Ms. Yun? Yeah, true. I agree with that view. Um, numbers are neutral, so I, I do not think that's the problem. As the society gets more progressive, then more people realize that marriage is not essential. 
And then this is an institution, but the institution is not good for everyone. So we are like embracing a more pluralistic society that respect people uh, making their choices of whether to get married or not, whether to form family or not. There are more pluralistic relationships, and it gives freedom and choice to especially female. Because when you think about it, many years ago. Being a housewife and getting married is a career. Like you're getting yourself to a permanent employer, and you hope that you're lucky that the employer is a good one. And if it's a bad one, you suffer for your whole life. And women are forced to marry somebody by the parents. And then after uh, some years, then women could choose who they want to marry to. But it's like they still have that pressure. To get married, so it's not that actually free, and they they have to take up many chores of the, uh, of a family, of the home, taking care of elderly. And nowadays, I think women are really being more independent, and I I hold uh, the same view as the audience. I guess this is also a global trend and not unique in Hong Kong, right? Um, in developed areas of the world, I note that um, fewer people are getting married, or they even if they get married, they l l end up in divorce, and so on and so forth. So therefore, you know, birth rate um, has declined um, globally in the developed um, world. Miss Yun. Yes. Um, the the interesting thing in Hong Kong is that. There are more men who marry, and then there are more men who have never married too. That 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 means um, I I think the men actually marry and then get divorced and then remarry. But uh, more women just stay divorced and or separated, and they do not um, marry again. But um, I think in general, um, people are giving uh, less children and not getting married. Um, Because um, social security has improved, maybe um, in especially in the West, because um, it's like they don't need to give birth to children to like uh, secure their retirement life, and also financial institutions have improved because uh, there's a data set, um, there's a study on it, and figuring out that you know the Chinese actually use children as investment, as they have. Fewer children, they actually uh, make more personal investments, so they are actually substitutes. Um, and when people have more financial knowledge, when the financial market are more developed, they do not need to rely on the children uh, as their like retirement protection. So they actually make uh, choices between um, the two. Right, Professor Ye, uh, Miss Yun just now she she um, described her children as a. Well, as a retirement uh, sort of a solution, um, is that the right way to view to view um, having children? Well, I think the thing has changed quite substantially. As you can see, some of the parents, I think, they worry about their children. <laughs> they might pay down the mortgage payment I mean, for their children rather than expect their children to look after them. You know? So, so um, but I think the the. The whole thing it is. I think we, uh, um, uh, one thing what the government should do or what the society should do is to fully appreciate the benefit of having or to have a family, to have children, because which give a stable 
society, and also what we need to do is to try to make it, um, the workplace as a more family-friendly place. Because some of the working women, I think they somehow they've been forced, I think, uh, to make the choice whether they will stay on job or they have a family. But why in the Western country? I mean, uh, uh, I mean the TFR, I mean the total fertility rate on average. I mean they have about two children per woman. But in Hong Kong, we are talking about only point seven. No, big. Well, I mean yes. I think the small family size is really the norm of this. Uh, uh, the, modern society, but I think what we need to do, we really have to cultivate a, a more family-friendly working environment such that we move the uh, worries of the women who will aspire to become a mother. Right. Professor Yip, before we go to uh, talk about uh, different solutions that uh, we, we can look at, uh, can you tell us a bit about the impact this, will, this trend you're talking about will have on Hong Kong's uh, ageing population? Our aging is very bad already. I mean, we are talking about this lady, I think 20% of our population, they're age 65 or above. And because of this um, uh, substantial decline in the fertility and also the increased number of migration, I think we are talking about, I think we are going to uh, going to be uh, have a more serious aging society. And as you can see in comparing with last two years, our working force, the number has been coming down already. So we are talking about where instead of, I mean, we have, um, uh, the number of people who are working, who are working and contributing or paying tax, I think will be less than two years ago. And then we uh, experienced a natural uh, reduction in terms of the number. So I think it is going to be a big happy to the government in terms of the um, the, um, the social welfare and also I think the health care as well. No? So if this trend continues for let, let's say 10 years, so a primary school kid who's in like primary two, primary three, you know, when they get out of school, um, uh, I guess they they, they will find a world that is quite different from now, you know, with a lot of old people to take care of, perhaps, um, you know, his or her own parents and grandparents. And um, are there any opportunities? Uh, it seems the situation is grave, but surely, you know, at the other side of the coin, there might be opportunities as well. Well, we really have to invest on our children to make them more powerful, <laughs> to make them more productive, to make them, I think, try to increase the productivity, to increase the productivity their productivity without asking to work for too long hours, I think so. So I really hope that the education and training, I mean, can be provided to our children and such that they have to shoulder a big burden, I think, I mean, when they grow up, you know, because I think this, I think the trend, it doesn't look good. But of course, I mean, when you take, have a wider perspective, you look at the greater Bay areas or the greater Chinas, then that could be a different story. But for the time being, I mean, from now, I think until 10 years, I think we still have to put up with that sort of very rapidly aging society, uh, the, the, the challenges. All right. I have an email here from Richard. He says, uh, 
I have two daughters, both in long-term relationships, but not wishing to get married. Neither want to have children, not because of financial cost, but because they do not want to bring children into a world that is facing extreme deterioration in climate. That is going to make living extremely difficult. A second reason is that marriage disproportionately benefits men and disadvantages women. Any smart and responsible young woman will stay single. The focus on short-termism among experts fail again to acknowledge our rapid acceleration to a context which is increasingly unlivable. And uh, that is from Richard. Um, we're going to go to the news very, very shortly. But uh, Ms. Yoon, do you have a response to that? Yeah, I agree with that because, um, you know, those natalist policy that give tax credit, tax subsidy to um, people who... Uh, who, who gives birth to children the work much because it's not about money. It's about the responsibility to children. And uh, Professor, Professor Yip? Well, I think uh, we just hope that uh, we, the men can be smarter and can be better. But is, um, is climate change and environmental concerns and, you know, the um, not only our city, but um, uh, everywhere in the world, uh, it seems that it is more unstable now and not as livable as before? Yes, I think this is a challenge and everyone can do something in our own capacity, I mean, to improve the situation. But, but earlier, Ms. Yoon, you were saying that uh, financial cost was the uh, ma- major factor. And uh, what do you think of uh, what the uh, listener just said about uh, you know, other issues such as climate change or other factors that is making the world uh, less livable? That is an economic view um, based on rational, uh, rationality of people. So uh, it can predict what happened, but it's not the only factor. It, it's it also explains why uh, people give less, uh, less birth in post-industrial society compared to industrial society. But I do think um, when you plan whether you want to have children, it's about whether you are satisfied with your life and then whether you're satisfied with the world, the society, with the institution, with the country that you're in. And then do you want your children to face the same thing? So if you're finding, um, you know, society is getting more unstable and then jobs are more precarious, competition getting more intense, then people just want to end this in the generation and not um, prolonging it and sending it to your next generation. Right, so um, I do think this is true. All right, Ms. Yoon, Professor Yip, we'll need to take a short break for the news. When we return, let's talk about what the government can do to improve the situation. Now, if you want to ask questions or just share your views on today's topics, you can call us. It's, our number is 233-88266. And a quick look at the weather, mainly fun apart from isolated showers. The uh, top temperature today will be around 34 degrees. And uh, right now it's at 31 degrees, relative humidity 75%. Afghanistan to become a haven for the international jihad. You're listening to the news on RTHK. Welcome back. This is Back Chat on a Tuesday morning with Ada Wong and me, Janice Wong. If you're just tuning in, we're talking about the widening gender imbalance in Hong Kong and why fewer people choose to get married. If you want to ask questions or just share your views on today's topics, remember you can email us at backchat at rthk.hk or you can give us a call. Our number is 233-88266. Still with us on the program is Paul Yip, the Chair Professor of Population Health at the University of Hong Kong's Department of 
social work and social administration. Also on the program is Vera Yoon, a lecturer at HKU's Faculty of Business and Economics. And um, before the news, we're talking about uh, how uh, this is becoming a trend that uh, fewer people are getting married and women are choosing and some women are choosing not to have any children. And uh, Professor Yib, you're talking about how we could uh, make the workplace more family friendly uh, to help encourage people to have children. Um, what other measures can be can be taken? Well, I think if you look at recent uh, announcements from one of the uh, theme park, uh, um, I mean, they allow the people, they have a longer maternity leave uh, and also the leave for the parents and also they have this so-called uh, special uh, day off, I mean, to support their children, I think, during the year. I think these are the very tangible and also very practical measure as we really to support I think the young family and, 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 uh, and, and I think these are the things that that should be promoted I think uh, not only in the private sectors but also in the uh, public sector as well. Mm. Professor Yip, I, I read somewhere that um, nowadays many corporations, big and small, allow um, women uh, to work from home uh, for one or two days uh, so that um, they can take care of their children as well as take care of their work. Um, this applies to this is applied to law firms and um, IT companies and many other commercial companies. Did you see this happening more in Hong Kong? Well, I think it's because of the COVID. I mean, the work from home is really a new mode of working now. I mean, uh, so I think as far as the workers, I think can discharge all the duties. I don't think it's a bad idea to allow the self visibility. I think the whole idea it is we try to make the work and the family, the um, uh, raising the family. I think they don't really have to uh, uh, compete with one another. I think yes, I think uh, we might have to make some compromise. I think the women might not be a hundred percent on the job. I mean, if they work from home, but I think if we uh, the really treasure the human uh, the resources and then you really want to the corporation like to do a fair share I think uh, uh, to raising a child in a society I think that uh, certainly is not a a bad idea so one thing is very important raising a child is now at this stage is not simply an individual decision now I think because of the collective I think behavior has led to some outcome so I think we do need I think everyone in the community have to some uh, their due contribution I think to try to rectify the situation all right uh, professor yep we have a caller here and uh, it's uh, Joey good morning Joey hi hi good morning uh, what would you like to tell us um, I don't really believe in marriage and this is because I used to work as a digital marketing assistant and there was a time I was using Google Analytics and find out that the number of people who search the word marriage is more or less the same with those who search the word divorce. So maybe nowadays people might still say that marriage is like a prison, but surely they know how it is so easy to break out of it. So in our society nowadays, it's like our accelerating society. We are experiencing way more things in a few years than those who live in the medieval times experienced in their whole life. So 
I don't think it is so realistic to live with the same person since your twenties until your eighties, because we are so used to changes and constant stimulation. So I think maybe, just maybe, marriage—the concept of marriage—is a bit out of date nowadays. Right, right. So, Joey, do you do、uh, believe in having children without marriage? Then I I know a couple of people who have done that. Um, I don't really have a comment on what others do, but personally, the problem for me with having children is that even though I can see with the kids' perspective now, because I don't have kids now, I don't think I can do so the instant I become a parent. So the last thing I want for myself is to become a Helicopter parents or a tiger mom. It is hard not to do so when you feel responsible for your kids' future. And、so、we don't really have an answer of whether, like, giving birth to them is a good thing because I can never get the consent of being born. Right, and Joey, just now, Professor Yip, he he was talking about how、um, companies can make the workplace more family friendly.、Um, by doing that, it, it won't be able to change your mind, would it? I think it makes it a bit more tempting to have kids, but I don't think it changes the fundamental problem or the fundamental concern of mine. All right, thank you, Joey, for your view,、um, Professor Yip. What do you think? Well, I think having children sometimes it is just just the core of the nature. I mean, I mean, some people they just say that if their life without the children, then it is not complete. So I think, but it is really the individual choices, right? But 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 what we are saying, we respect the individual choices. But if there are some people who like to have the children and who are facing problem, and I think it is our responsibility, or it is the responsibility of the government trying to do something. I think to remove. Barriers, and because, as I said before, you no, know, because the present trend, I think we definitely know that it will lead to some undesirable、uh, thing, uh, 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 the situation, which I think uh, uh, that we have to rectify now rather than later. It is, it is an individual's choice, but、uh, I mean, it will have an impact on society. Is it worrying that、uh, if many people share the same view as、uh, Joey? Well, I. You can see that I mean, there's still a lot of happy married people. They go into their golden、uh, wedding anniversary and all that. So I think it just we just have to work hard on it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And、um, and go- going to what the government can do,、uh, Vera Yun. I guess education、um, comes out, you know, probably as the first thing.、Uh, since there are now fewer new births、um, recent years, thirty-nine、uh, thousand only in 2021. How do you think education could change、um, so that、um, there's more quality education? And as Professor Yip said,、um, the next generation should be more productive. Yes,、um, productivity is the solution to like everything, like aging, aging population. Because I think nowadays it's like four to five、um, working population supporting an elderly. Later on, it will be like two point five. So、uh, just one person needs to make more、uh, with his job or with his productivity, so that、um, he can support、um, more elderly people. I, I think that's the case. And I think what we talked about a why is it a problem? A why is it a problem? It, it concerns、um, the government on you know fertility and that we don't have younger population, which means we don't have enough workers. 
And then also, we do not have enough young workers or creators who are innovative who can be our economic engine. So, so then um, the solution is there are only two ways. You either make them give more birth or you either have um, migrants. And then I think for the first solution, morally, it's debatable with that you want to affect choices of you know people's lives. And for the second thing, um, I think for Hong Kong, such a small place, it won't be a problem in terms of the numbers because uh, we are not like a huge country that you know takes a few countries' population to fill up. But um, there will be clashes among different groups, you know, discrimination. Um, you know, getting migrants into our society to be integrated, that kind of thing. Immigration will be a pretty hot topic um, from uh, uh, introducing uh, professionals to Hong Kong, doctors and nurses, uh, to the importation of all sorts of um, labour. Uh, Professor Yip, how, uh, how critical uh, would this be? And could we do more in education, for example, locally and not rely on just immigrants? Well, I think, as you can see, you know, I mean, if uh, we do not have this sort of cross-border children to come to Hong Kong to study, now we see some of our primary school, I think they need to close down now because uh, they just simply they do not have enough students. Now, when you talk about, uh, I think, the more mature migrants, I'm actually, everyone is looking for this sort of professional. I mean, um, why the, in Australia or in the United Kingdom, I mean, they welcome uh, uh, the, the Hong Kong are having to move there. I mean, they are also, I think, looking for this young professional having to replace their aging population. So I think in, in Hong Kong, we are just have to fight with other people, I mean, to make our place to be attractive enough. So I think at this stage, I really have to say that, one, we have to slow down, I think, the migration out of Hong Kong. And secondly, I think we have to double our efforts and know how to make Hong Kong to be a place of opportunity, I mean, to attract these young talents, I mean, all over the world, I think, to come to uh, Hong Kong. One of the possibilities is that I think now we are actually have some uh, some sort of tourism students I mean, coming from Southeast Asia, they study in Hong Kong, I think, uh, uh, so that we are, they are ready to go in, in the workforce now after their graduation. So if we can make them to be easier, I think, to stay in Hong Kong or to give them some incentive, I mean, to stay in Hong Kong, I think definitely, I think we will have to improve our human capital, I think, um, in Hong Kong. Um, what sort of policies uh, would be welcomed by young professional talents, um, Professor Yu? I think now, as you can see, there's a lot of start-up. I think uh, I, uh, I see some of uh, our university graduates, they are very, very good. I mean, uh, they do the IT, they do the AI, they do the big data analytics. So, but, but this, somehow, I think they might just need to have some seat money, I mean, from the government, I think to help them, I think to get them off the ground. Um, but as you know, I think the office space and these are also very expensive in Hong Kong. But I know that the, the Hong Kong government is doing something already, right? I mean, in the science park, I think in cyberports, I think they are creating some very cheap, cheaper, I think, offices, I mean, for them to use. And also they provide some support, I mean, for them to hire uh, some young postdoctorate, I mean, to work in there. I think these are the uh, 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 right thing to do, and, but I hope we can do more 
each year, I think our university, I think we are producing about 600 PhD students. 600 PhD students. Now, actually, these are the young talents. I mean, if we can, uh, I think, keep them in Hong Kong, offer them the opportunity, that will definitely, I think, uh, help to change the landscape, uh, I think, of the Hong Kong talents. You know? And Vera Yun, uh, what kind of policies do you think we should have? for, for well, attraction I, of young talents and re retention of talents? Well, actually, state money from government is not necessary because there's so much money out there when they venture capital. There's so much of this money. It's just whether they could teach um, the investors. So I, I don't think financing is a problem for, um, you know, a young entrepreneur. The problem is institutions in Hong Kong because they don't really um, accommodate these new, um, you know, startup well. Uh, and I know some of the young people in Hong Kong, they choose to have the business registration in Singapore because they have better policies, they um, they have better institutions so that they know of that kind of new, you know, technological kind of startup would not uh, be in the gray area of law, you know, that kind of thing. So I think Hong Kong does lag behind in these, um, in these aspects. And I think for the younger generation and the, you know, tide of um, immigration, no, it's unstoppable. No, it, it couldn't be, it couldn't be, uh, you know, uh, mitigated. I, I guess it's like competing for talents that are not in Hong Kong yet, but then it's very competitive because, you know, Shanghai, New York, uh, you know, many of the big cities, they are also competing for these talents and they offer very good packages. So it's about whether, like, the whole of Hong Kong could offer good job opportunities for them. And I think the problem with Hong Kong is that uh, the one-way permit thing, it attracts a lot of not very educated and then also middle-aged women that reduces the quality of um, the labor force. And then for the... There are actually quite some good uh, talents from um, mainland China who are educated from overseas and also from mainland China itself. But... Um, if you look at the statistics, they tend to stay in Hong Kong for like five years, seven years, ten years, and then they, you know, go away. They cannot be retained. So they see Hong Kong as a springboard rather than, you know, living in Hong Kong for a longer time. I think that that actually is a problem. Too. All right. So Ms. Yoon, we'll have to leave it here for now. Thanks again for joining us this morning. And that's Vera Yoon, a lecturer at HKU's Faculty of Business and Economics. Many thanks also to Paul Yip, the Chair Professor of Population Health at the University of Hong Kong's Department of Social Work and Social Administration. It's now 18 minutes past nine, and it's time for us to turn to our next topic. And it's about the closure of classic eateries in Hong Kong. Last month, a Mido Cafe in Yaomate shut its doors after operating in Hong Kong for more than 70 years. And today is the last day for Happy Cake Shop in Wan Chai. That's been here for more than four decades. And of course, earlier in June, we also bid farewell to Jumbo Floating Restaurant. Um, to share his thoughts on some of these old eateries, we're now joined on the line by Samuel Lai, a researcher in Cha Chan Tang and an anthropologist in Hong Kong food culture. Good morning, Mr. Lai. Hi, good morning. Thanks for joining Thank us on the Thanks for joining uh, us on the program. So, first of all, how do you feel about uh, all these uh, traditional eateries uh, disappearing in Hong Kong? Uh, 
I guess like uh, these um, traditional eateries somehow um, represent a past or somehow an older kind of like way of life in Hong Kong where somehow uh, our generation, like for myself, may not be really familiar, but then they do represent a very strong kind of Hong Kong food culture, which I do believe that we should be taking up in order to pass them on. Right, Mr. Lai, I know you're more into cha chan tangs. Can you tell us uh, more about uh, Mido Cafe? It's not a regular cha chan tang, is it? Yeah, I guess like when we talk about Mido Cafe, we have to be able to distinguish between cha uh, chan tang, peng uh, and chan So basically, I would use the, the word tea restaurant, ice room, uh, and like soy sauce restaurant to differentiate them. So basically, like Mido um, Cafe, actually, like based on an interview with the owner, like previously, like from actually believe that Mido Cafe is actually a soy sauce restaurant. So basically, it's like Thai Peng Kun. So they serve some sort of like a Western cuisine, but then they have a very um, Chinese touch in it. For example, like they use soy sauce, and then for example, like instead of pork chop uh, rice, they will actually have it as in like pork ribs with tomato. So then I guess it's like a twist of the Western cuisine, but then it's not exactly the Western cuisine nor the Chinese cuisine that we are usually uh, coming across on a daily basis. And at the same time, Mido Cafe is actually quite different from uh, Ice Room, uh, because like um, they sell something that is more high class. And at the same time, um, they don't exactly serve that many of a uh, light meal. So that is the kind of differentiation that we can get uh, based on Mido Cafe, Ice Room and Ta Tan yeah. um, on, on On Mido Cafe, Samuel, um, uh, there, there is actually like a cultural link, uh, you know, between Mido Cafe and, um, you know, the surroundings. Uh, in in Yamate, do you think that also adds to the significance of Mido Cafe, or, or actually, do you think Mido Cafe uh, is actually a significant um, eatery? Yeah. yeah, I do believe that Mido Cafe is very significant, not just for the Yamate kind of neighborhood, but also for Hong Kong. Not to, uh, because, like uh, in many cases, like uh, it somehow is very signature with its uh, decoration and environment and how it is able to for the uh, customers to actually get to the second floor to actually oversee the whole uh, Yamate and the Qinhao Temple, which is actually quite magnificent. And I guess like there is not really that many kind of like restaurants nowadays uh, that is of such a grassroots nature, but then you can enjoy such a view. So then uh, view-wise, it's actually very nice. But then I do believe that Mita Cafe is also some of the, uh, one of the last kind of like uh, early developed kind of town uh, sub in Hong Kong, which I do believe that uh, it has a uh, historical significance, not just in the food industry or food culture, but then in the Hong Kong culture in general. And 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 I note that um, during the pandemic, Mido Cafe closed uh, for a few months and then it reopened. So um, the closure uh, announcement uh, probably comes as a surprise to, to a lot of its customers. Uh, were you surprised? Uh, I, I, I was surprised with a lot of these sort of like closure uh, announcements, not just with Mido Cafe, but then uh, I guess like uh, during the pandemic is actually quite a hard hit on their businesses. Like there is really few people on the street and then um, they can't really go into these sort of like restaurants. So then I guess it's understandable, but then at the same time, uh, I, I was very much looking forward to their reopening. Yeah, you, you mentioned Beng Sat, which is like ice parlor, right, in English. Um, how, uh, how, I guess like, yeah, sort of, yeah. Uh, how, how is that different? Because I see a lot of those uh, coming up again, and they are all new. Um, they have, uh, I guess, nice yeah. decoration and sort of, yeah, yeah, yeah. and they sort of imitate the older style. Yeah, yeah so I guess like, we have to differentiate uh, 
use the word ice parlor, but then uh, technically it's called soda fountain back in the 1930s all the way up to the 70s. So uh, I guess we have to differentiate like the genre, the category of um, soda fountain as opposed to um, those who name themselves as things. Like currently, there's a lot of, a spur of trend of uh, new things that are coming up, but then basically they are all something which try to like uh, manipulate the kind of nostalgia that uh, in general is uh, quite developing. And then, but then Soda Fountain as itself, uh, currently in Hong Kong, I do believe that there are only two of them. One is in Tobawa, the another one is in Shengshou. So basically the major differences between uh, a Soda Fountain and a Ta Fountain is whether they serve rice and whether they are actually serving light meal. So for ice parlor or Soda Fountain, they are majorly uh, selling uh, drinks and pastries, bread, and then very light meal, for example, like macaroni and soup. So that is the major difference. Right. And like I mentioned earlier, uh, today will be the last day of a happy cake shop in Wan Chai. And uh, last week we saw queues outside the shop after it announced uh, its decision to shut down. Um, why do you think so many people are lining up? I guess uh, a lot of people may not be living around the neighborhood for a long time. Like, I do believe that the Happy Baker is basically a community getaway which has uh, been there for like 40 years and it has witnessed uh, generations of the same family from like very youngsters to being very awake and then people are somehow a bit nostalgic and then they wish to go back to revisit the memory of them like maybe like um, eating a cream cone while they're walking down the street getting back home but then that maybe somehow I do believe that is mostly due to the fact that they are very nostalgic about this particular place but then uh, on a side note I do believe that uh, there will be a resurgence of, of the happy uh, bakery because I do believe that they have a branch in Mount Shan. But then, of course, they are. That is quite a complete cut off from their neighborhood connection in Wan Chai. But then, uh, the foot itself may be able to actually be continued. But now, do, do you see a trend of? Uh, I mean, people having these short-lived nostalgia when, um, when let's say, a cake shop or a bread shop closes down. But then, you know, uh, reg- regularly they they won't be customers. Let's say they won't go to Happy Cake Shop every day and buy. Um, like like a pineapple bun, boro bao for breakfast. Mm-hmm. But they, they perhaps would go to like a French bakery, which are also quite abundant in Wan Chai, yeah, and, and yeah. get a croissant. Yeah, I, I do believe that there is actually quite a structural problem. Like currently, uh, with the rise in, rise in a lot of like uh, a lot of food options, and people seem to feel like uh, those are more decent, and then they would like to uh, purchase others. But then at some point of time, um, they would actually uh, go back to these particular. A traditional uh, bakeries or like cake shops to buy them. I, I do believe that uh, nostalgia is quite a thing in Hong Kong, which uh, a lot of people may have to talk about it, but it, I guess we have to look into it much more deeply in terms of like why people would suddenly have a spur of like uh, such nostalgia and how, how, why is that so short-lived? Because what I'm trying to do is exactly the opposite. I, I do believe that we should not approach them with a sense of nostalgia, but approach them as something that is very much Hong Kong and how we can preserve or how we can actually continue them. That is my kind of perspective. But then the, the, the sort of like nostalgia among current uh, time is actually quite a fun thing to look about. Mm.
Um, Sammy, I know that uh, your research interest is in Cha Chan Tang and, and also its um, uh, its uh, role in Hong Kong history. Um, w- w- really like uh, you to tell us a little bit more about, you know, how these uh, Cha Chan Tang came up and uh, soy sauce restaurants um, sort of, uh, um, you know, using Chinese methods to cook sort of Western style food. Because I know that um, nowadays we have uh, more families uh, moving to the UK and one of the first things uh, in, in a lot of uh, uh, suburb uh, districts on um, UK's high streets is um, the appearance of a Cha Chan Tang. So it, it's sort of um, connected to Hong Kong food culture. Yeah, uh, I guess like my, my kind of research is basically about uh, Cha Chan Tang. And then Cha Chan Tang is basically something that has its very first appearance in the 1950s. So originally, it's actually a higher class kind of restaurant than uh, what is termed as ice parlor or the fountain. But then later on, it has some sort of like a um, paradigm shift and then it has some sort of like a trickle-down kind of effect. So then eventually most of the restaurants that now we see or identify is called Tatan Tang. And based on some sort of like open rise kind of a statistic, we have 3,000 of them in Hong Kong. So I guess like a lot of the times when people uh, migrate, they are very much long for uh, what, they were, uh, what they had in their hometown or home place. And then uh, it is quite natural that people would look for something, for example, like as very specifically Hong Kong, like Cha Tan Tang, for example, like a Hong Kong-style milk tea or pineapple bun. And then I guess like there would indeed be a trend of opening of Cha Tan Tang overseas, for example, like recently one of the uh, Cha Tan Tang that is very much known for their curry pork chop rice has opened a branch in Manchester. So uh, I do believe that um, there would be quite a trend. But then, of course, like some people would actually try to argue that are they really Cha Tan Tang when they are not in Hong Kong? I guess that is something that we really have to think about. But at the same time, I do believe that that is something that is rather positive because uh, a lot of the times when we are overseas, we can't exactly um, identify what it means by Hong Kong cuisine. But then with the opening of these Tartantang, then we are somehow going into the market and then we are trying to uh, show that there is actually something that is called Hong Kong cuisine. And then that is actually something that really helps uh, introducing us to um, the West of the world. So I do believe that is actually quite a good development. All right, uh, Mr. Lai, we'll have to leave it here for now. Thanks again for joining us this morning. That's uh, Samuel Lai, a researcher in Cha Chan Tang and an anthropologist in Hong Kong food culture. Many thanks also to you who commented or emailed back to today and to my co-host Ada Wong and my producer Yuki. Now, here's the weather. Mainly fine apart from isolated showers. The very hot weather warning is in force. Highs expected today of around 34 degrees in the urban areas. Winds light to moderate southerlies. And the outlook, more showers and thunderstorms in the next couple of days. Right now, it's 31 degrees. Relative humidity, 71%. Provisional registers and the omissions lists were released on August 1st. Log in to the online voter information inquiry system to check your registered particulars. If you receive a reminding letter from the Registration and Electoral Office asking you to confirm your elector status, reply by post, email or fax to keep your registration status. The deadline is August 25th. For inquiries, call 2891-1001. It's 9.30, the news with Andrew Shirovsky. Thank you, Janice. The president of the Hong Kong Pediatric Society has urged parents to get their young children vaccinated against COVID as soon as possible, as there's been a rise in serious cases among young patients. 
The hospital authority has rejected safety concerns about paracetamol. It procured from the mainland when the fifth wave of COVID peaked earlier this year. The authority said that although the batch of medicine was not registered here, it had examined the safety and quality of the drug before buying it. U.S. President Joe Biden has announced that the